let me start off by this. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever heard the statement that confidence is key? Confidence is key. It's this idea that if you have enough confidence in something, if you believe in something enough and you have the confidence to get the work done, that it's going to happen, that if you have that confidence in your life, then anything that you have confidence in will come to pass, that it will happen. Like, I have confidence that this is going to happen. Like, I have confidence that the Eagles will never win the Super Bowl. That's just the way I see it. History is, has played it out over the years and over the years. I have confidence that the Cowboys will win the Super Bowl one year, um, hopefully in the next couple of years. I have confidence that Chicago Bears, even them, will maybe one day make it to the Super Bowl back again. My Chicago friends who are here today, that was for you. Um, confidence is key. The great Tom Brady, I call him great because the guy is undeniably good at what he does, even though you don't like him. Um, the great Tom Brady said that when he walks on the field, he has so much confidence in his ability to do what he is trained to do. He's got confidence, and it's proof that no matter what you believe about the guy, whether you will debate whether or not he cheated in, on, on deflate gate or whatever it is that he did, or whether or not he can argue the fact that he is or isn't the greatest quarterback of all time, one thing you cannot deny is that the man has confidence. He's got confidence. And he proved that in the last Super Bowl, down 25 points, pretty much shut out the Falcons in the second half. It was a disaster for them. It was an honor for him to lead his team back from the highest deficit ever in Super Bowl history into overtime, the first overtime in Super Bowl history to do what? To win his fifth ring as a Super Bowl champion. That is confidence. Can anyone deny that right here today? Because if you can deny it, we're, we're gonna, we're, the sermon's over. We're going to have to just, just pray and go home at that point. It's confidence. Confidence in what he does. That's the type of confidence I want to talk to you guys about today. I want to talk to you about having that sort of confidence in your life. And not only just your life. I want to talk to you about that type of confidence that we can have in our salvation. When we talk about our relationship with Christ, and we talk about how we know we are saved or we, or we question our salvation, we need to have confidence in the subject of our connection, our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so for that to come to life, we're going to look into the book of 1 Corinthians, as if you didn't know, um, today. And if you remember, we're going verse by verse to the book of 1 Corinthians. We started off in verse 1. We're barely going to be in verse 9 and 7 today. And it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And we said this church was a young, kind of naive church. They thought they knew it all. They were less than three years old. And when Paul wrote this letter, it was in response to some reports that he had heard about the church and the way they were living in sin. That the church was doing really good things for a while, but after all, they started going off the, the wayward path. And Paul wrote a letter. And he rebuked them. And then they wrote another letter back, and they rebuked Paul for rebuking them. And so 1 Corinthians is actually the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And in this letter, he's rebuking them even more so. So that's where we are at today. But despite all of the, the sinfulness and the wickedness that is in the church of Corinth, we find that the Apostle Paul has this uttermost confidence in the people of Corinth still. 
despite their negligence to, to live a life that fulfills the, the purpose and the mission of God, Paul still finds confidence in their salvation. But why? But why? Like, that's the question I want us to answer. Why does he have confidence in this church that obviously is very off the beaten path, very wayward in their walk with Christ? I mean, if you were to just kind of look at the church in Corinth, just kind of read through the letter in the church of Corinth, you would find out that this church has got, like, divorce is rampant in the church. Like, people just, like, there was no respect for the, the sanctity of marriage in the church of Corinth. There was sexual immorality going just all over the place in Corinth. There was people who were suing each other within the church, direct violation of what God's word says not to do. There was people who were disrespecting the leaders of the church, just uh, questioning their apostleship. Uh, there's homosexuality is running rampant. The, the, they're sacrificing um, sacrifices to pagan gods and, and this, uh, just this, this demonic presence within the church welcoming in other gods of the Greek mythology and all that. The church is intertwined with the world so much you can barely even recognize it as a church. Why would Paul have confidence in this church? I mean, this is the type of church that you would not look at on Sunday morning, look at your wife and say, hey, honey, pack up the kids, get the Sears Sunday best on. We're heading over to the church in Corinth. I think God is doing really good things in the church of Corinth. We want to go check it out. Like, no one said that. Okay, the church in Corinth was like the black sheep of the Christian world at the time. They were that bad. And yet, Paul has all this confidence in the church in Corinth. He's got utter confidence in the church of Corinth, that they are saved by love and by grace. There was confidence in that. Why does he have this confidence? He's got confidence in the calling of sanctification and salvation in their lives. We said a couple weeks ago that this was a calling that was put out there to those in the church of Corinth and to us as well, that this calling that Paul was speaking about was not a general calling. It was an effectual calling. Y'all remember that? We said there's two types of callings that God puts out. There's a general calling where we have the option to say no. And then there's an effectual calling that when God hits you with the effectual calling, there is nothing you can do to avoid that effectual calling. It is in your heart. It is in your mind. It is in your soul. And you might be able to avoid it for a while, but eventually that calling is a calling from God and you cannot run away from that calling. That's what happened to Paul when he was on his way to Damascus. God didn't give him the option. Hey, do you want to like not go kill? Uh, do you want to like maybe like not go kill the people of the church and, and maybe start working for me? Or do you want to like just keep doing your thing, man? No, he smacked him off his horse. Changed his name from Saul to Paul. A new identity in Christ. That was an effectual calling. Saul had no choice in the matter. He was going to become one of the greatest writers of the New Testament, one of the greatest apostles that ever walked the earth and was a mission for God. There was no way he could avoid that. That is the same calling that God uses upon our life still to today. We're identified as a, they were identified in the church in Corinth as saints because they were called by God. That's in 1 Corinthians. We read it a couple weeks ago. It's who they were. They were saints. Paul called them saints. It's who they were. You can look at it the same way as like this. I was born, when I was born, my parents, actually my grandpa came up with the name. My parents liked it. They went with it. They gave me the name Felix or Felix. Okay. They gave me the name Felix as a child. 
and all my life, even though I did not like the name Felix, I like it now, I think it's cool. Uh, when I was growing up, I never had to live up to the name Felix. It's who I was. You never have to live up to your name. Your parent called you Amanda. Your parent called you Jason. Your parent called you Jorge. I mean, that is who you are. You don't have to live up to that name. You don't have to try to become this person that they called you. You are that person in every single way. And that's the exact same thing that Paul says that happened in the church in Corinth, that God called them saints. So they were saints. Despite their flaws, despite their actions, Paul calls them saints, and God calls them saints. But guess what? They're saints. And just as your heavenly Father called you a saint, when you've come into a relationship with him, when you've received that calling, Saint, it means sanctified. When you've been sanctified by the blood of Christ, you're no longer known as what you were, a drunkard, an addict to pornography, a homosexual, a, 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 a bigot, someone who is prideful, someone who is a cheater, a swindler. You're not known as that. You're known as a saint, despite your flaws. You see, but I, I flaw a lot. Yeah, you're a saint that needs to get back on track. But God called you a saint. Start living like it. That was the message a couple of weeks ago. The temptation that we have with this type of scripture, though, as Christians, because we're, we're human-minded and we, and we think at a very um, what-can-you-do-for-me type level, the temptation that we have is that you might say, well, if Paul is calling the church in Corinth, this wicked, messed-up church in Corinth, saints, then he must be condoning the sins that they're doing. But that's not true. Because we weren't there, were we? Paul was there when the church became the church. When Paul showed up, he preached the gospel to the, the city of Corinth, and he saw people transformed. He saw lives changed before his eyes. He saw people put aside their sinful nature and start walking in the light of the Lord. He saw this firsthand. And because he saw this transformation, he also saw that they were given gifts. And in a couple of weeks ago, we learned that the gifts that were given to the church in Corinth, Paul says, were evidence of the transformation in their heart. So when you have gifts that God has given you, it's evidence that God is working in your heart. And that's what Paul says, that this church has transformed itself. These people have changed. I've seen it with my own two eyes. They were made new. So Paul has all this confidence in this church, despite their flaws. Despite the fact that they have pushed him out, disrespected him as a leader. Despite the fact that they continue to divulge themselves into sexual immorality and wickedness. Paul continues to have confidence. And what I want us to do today is I want us to look at why. Why does he have that confidence in this church? And when we learn why he has this confidence in this church, maybe we can, maybe we can find some, some peace in that, knowing that maybe that's why God has confidence in us. And maybe you can have the confidence in your own salvation. Hey, let's just be face, uh, face it. Let's be truthful and honest. There is not a single person in this room who has not came to know Christ and since coming to know Christ has ever questioned their relationship with Christ afterwards in some way. If you're like, I've never done that yet, you're probably lying. Because I know I've done it. When I sin in my wickedness after knowing darn well that Christ lives in me and I continue to devour myself in sinful actions, 
Sometimes you might question that. Am I even saved? Oh, there's, there's rhetoric that goes around and says that you can lose your salvation, that you can backslide far enough. Maybe that's the type of things that puts questions in our mind, whether or not our God is powerful enough to keep us and hold us steady. And we question, maybe we can't lose our salvation. I want us to open our Bible today to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Y'all know the routine, uh, Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, it's probably in the chair in front of you. You can take that home with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, Bible uh, scripture is going to be on the screen behind me as well. Uh, if you're a Facebook junkie, I know you are because I see your post. You can go on there. You can find the, the scripture today on the Impact City Church Facebook page. While you're there, go ahead and check in as well. Let them know that you have confidence in your salvation today. So let's start from the top as you guys are turning. Let's start from the top. 1 Corinthians 1, 1. We'll just kind of go through this whole thing. By the way, 1 through 9. That's just the introduction of this letter. After verse 9, the body starts to, to take shape. In the next 16 chapters, it is the actual meat of the, the book, 1 Corinthians. So we haven't even gotten past the introduction yet. I'm excited to hear what God's going to show us today. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. You guys are there, say I'm there. You guys are awake, say I'm awake. All right, here we go. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and in our brother Sotheses, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called, there's that word, called to be saints. They were called to be sanctified, called to be saints, together with all those in every place upon, call upon the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 4 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way, in every way, you were enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as I wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless on the day of the Lord. Here's verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So these last two verses here that we're going to cover today is where we find the source of Paul's confidence in the church. It's also going to be where we find the source of our confidence in our own salvation. This is good stuff here today. Confidence in their salvation means confidence in our salvation. It's the same thing. It's the confidence that we can have in our own lives. And this confidence that they have, it's not because they're good people. And we know that for a fact. I mean, like, you just read First, uh, First Corinthians, the rest of the chapters, you will see that these people are like loony bin potential. They are that off the track. They're not good people, yet Paul has confidence in them. We know that this confidence that he has was not because they were smart people. The church in Corinth was one of the fastest growing, uh, sorry, the city of Corinth was one of the fastest growing industrial cities of the Greek time. They were smart people. They were the business owners, the architects, the, the, uh, uh, the engineers of the day. These were smart people. Their confidence in their salvation is not based upon their ability to do mathematics. 
No, that wasn't because they were smart. Their confidence wasn't because they were culturally cool and hip. The city of Corinth, we said, was kind of like Austin or Portland or, or Sacramento, one of those cool new hip cities where all the cool Apple and Dell computer people go to. Like, they're not that cool. Like, they're cool, but that's not the reason why they're confident. No, they are, their confidence is totally based 100% on God. The confidence in the salvation is based on God. Because if you were to look at the letter that Paul wrote to him, you would know and, and think to yourself, how the heck are these people even getting into heaven? I mean, and we're not going to spend time going over there, but you, I just, I've read some of the things to you. I mean, sexual morality just is running rampant within the church body, doing whatever the heck they want. Disrespecting leadership, disrespecting the authority of Christ in their life. Just fleshly desires, wild. And what Paul is saying is not because of what they do or don't do that they have their confidence. It's because of God. Their confidence is ultimately uh, held in the hands of Christ. The confidence to enter heaven one day is held in the hands of Christ. Their confidence to one day stand before the throne of God is held in the hand of Christ. I hope you're trending with me with that today. I hope you're trending with me on that today. Because that's something we all need to know. That your salvation is not held in your own hands. It's held in the hands of Christ. And why is that good today? That's so good. That's so good news to us today. Because you know we'd screw it up. Paul is saying that Jesus is the one who is sustaining. In verse 8, it goes back, it says that, that they are reve- waiting for the revealing of Jesus. Just who will sustain you to the end. Who's going to sustain you? You? Your actions? No. Jesus will sustain you to the end. That Jesus will sustain you until the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. That means his promise is true. By whom you were called into fellowship with the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is good news for us today. The truth that our right standing, our salvation, our relationship with God does not lie in our own hands. It lies in the hands who created us, Jesus Christ. I mean, stop for a moment and think about that. Like, really think about that for a moment. Your salvation is not in your hands. It's in the hands of the one who created you. It's like this. Um, I get nervous to carry cakes, like straight up. Uh, if someone, I hate it when they say, hey, Felix, uh, so-and-so is getting married, or like when, my, when we had our wedding anniversary uh, a couple, like last year or two, um, like, Sarah's like, can you go pick up the cakes from Walmart? And it's like a three-tier cake, and I was scared to death to carry it because when I was a kid, I was a teenager, um, my mom said, hey, mijo, uh, it's your birthday, uh, I want a cake on KSAB, the, the Hondo station, can you go pick it up? I actually picked it up from Yolanda's right here, and I remember driving over, and I picked up the birthday cake that was specially made for me, and I was taking it home, and I remember hitting airline and slamming my brakes, and the, I, the truck stopped, but the cake didn't. You know? Like, like, I know that if that was my salvation, I was going to mess it up. Amen? Like, you know, if God was to trust you with that ball, you're going to break it. You're going to drop that ball. Like, we are not that good. Like, why would God give us the salvation that, 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 he's so, that he worked so hard for? He gave his son up for And he says, here is salvation. I give it to you. Don't mess it up. That's stupid. 
I mean, like, can we just get on the, on the base level of Christianity here? That if our salvation was in our hands, we would mess it up. Because if it takes one sin to, to, to separate us from God, we would be separating from God every day. Some of you need to hear that today. Your salvation is not in your hands. Your salvation is in the hands of the one who created you. You need to hear that today. Write that down because that is a truth for you today. The word of God says that he is faithful and he will sustain us to the end. Look at verse 9 again. Um, verse 9, in fact, is like probably a good uh, summary of everything we've read so far in the book of 1 Corinthians. It says God is faithful. Y'all read this with me. It says God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There aren't many verses in the Bible that could bring us such confidence as this. That the work of maintaining your salvation is not in your hands. It's in the hands of Christ. So many of us will lose sleep because we know we are sinful. We know we are wicked. We know we are having trouble. And we try to fix things ourselves. And then to a certain point, that's good. We have to maintain our, our sanctification. We have to work towards that. But this idea that you could one day like, give that back to God and say, I give this back, I, I don't need you no more. My question is not whether or not you ever had it. I'm sorry, my question is whether or not did you ever have that salvation to begin with. Because it's, there's no biblical proof that you could do that. Paul makes this connection, though. Paul makes this connection in, 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 in verse 9 between the faithfulness of God to hold your salvation in his hand. And he connects it to the calling that God has of salvation in our hearts. He, in verse 9 he says, God is faithful whom you were called. There's that word again. To those who were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, God is faithful to keep the call of salvation in us. That means his promise to one day welcome us into heaven because he saw such uh, sympathy on us that he, that he granted us everlasting life, that he called us into salvation with him. That the word faithful means it's a promise. His promise is true. It's held in his hands. You may not see it that way, though. That may not be good enough for you. You may not see it that way. Maybe you see it like this. You think, man, I have a choice. I have a choice in this matter. I mean, my life is my own. I get to decide if I want to ruin my life. I get to decide whether I want to or don't want to follow Christ. I get to decide that. Like your salvation is based upon a prayer or something you once said at, at student camp or you once said in church whenever you were feeling down and depressed about something that happened. You said, well, I went to God. I said a prayer. I'm good. And maybe you think that that's all you need to do. And once you said that prayer, once you said that prayer that, that, that God is calling, he has to be faithful to you because you said that prayer as if we control God in some way. As if we say, uh, you know, God, because I said this, you, have to prom you promised me that you would do this. You have to do it because I said it. The problem with that line of thinking is that it puts the faithfulness of God not in his hands, but in our hands. Y'all training with me on that? The faithfulness of God at that point becomes our responsibility. It's our choice to follow God. And we know we'd screw that up. That's not the connection that Paul makes, though. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul says that the faithfulness of God to present you holy and righteous 
justified, sanctified before the throne of God does not rest on your ability to read the Bible well. It doesn't rest on your ability to attend church every Sunday. It does not rest on your ability to quote scriptures off the top of your head. It doesn't rest on your ability to serve the homeless around the town. It does not rest on your ability to tithe every week and give above and beyond your offering. It does not rest on how good you are and how many, how many organizations you give to. It doesn't, it doesn't rest upon your ability to, to brush off the, uh, the evils and the attacks of the world and say, I am strong, I'm standing on the Lord, my Lord, my God, Jesus. It doesn't rest on that. That's good things. Those are all great things. Those are signs of God living in your life, but they are not signs of salvation in your life. There are signs that say that, yes, this is what a Christian should do, but just because a Christian does those things does not mean he's saved. He is saved because God has called him into that salvation. And as a result of that salvation, he does these things. But don't get me wrong, you can do these things every day for the rest of your life and be separated from God if you do not have a relationship with him. It's true. In fact, uh, I looked it up this morning on the way over here, 83% of Americans claim to love Jesus Christ. 83%, you can look it up, just Google it. How many people in America claim to know Jesus or claim to be Christian? 83%. That means that 83 out of every 100 people you meet should be lovers of Jesus Christ. If that was the case, I would say, man, we are winning as a church. The church is doing great. We are over the margin of, 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 of winning this, 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 this battle to gain America. 83% love Jesus. If you look at the landscape of America today, would you think that 83% of the Americans were Christians? You wouldn't. The problem is that there are so many of us who claim to know Christ and really don't. We claim to know Christ, but our life does not reflect that. We claim to know Christ, but we've strayed away from that, 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 that knowing him. We, we claim to know Christ, but there's no proof of it in our lives. We have this understanding that because I said a prayer one time in my life, I'm good to go. I can live however, excuse the French, however the hell I want. It does not work that way. It does not work that way. It's not a choice in the matter. It's not a general call where you say, I can or cannot want to follow Christ. The call to us from God that says, uh, that says you're my child. You need to come back to me. That's the calling we hear from Christ. The calling back into salvation. You are my child, come back to me. It's the same calling that says, even though you may not look like my child, one day you will. One day you will. You're, you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You will. I am molding you into the face of Jesus Christ every day. I am making you more into me. Why is this so important? Why is this so important? Why am I talking about the theology of election and predestination and stuff like that? Why is that so important to know? It's important to us. Because we as believers cannot say, oh, I don't, I don't really know if I'm saved or not. I, I just kind of, I, I, can't, you can't do that. We as believers cannot just say, I just want to love Jesus. I don't want to think about all of that. I just want to be in love with Jesus and do what he wants me to do. I just want to live that awesome, happy life. We can't live a life like that. We have to live a life that says that our confidence is held in the hands of Christ for our salvation. That's what we have to live. It's important for us because it is true. And because it is true, then it can be the only place where we can find true confidence in our salvation. For those of us who are questioning whether or not we are saved, if you have been called by the name of God, 
into a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, you are saved. You cannot lose that. Now, if you said a prayer one day and you haven't lived up to those standards of living the way that God should be transforming you, that's a different problem. We'll get to that in just a second. Paul talked about this calling on our lives in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Turn with me there, Romans 8, 28 through 30. The first verse is a very known verse. We all know that one. Paul is talking about this. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. And usually we'll throw that verse out there. I know I do all the time whenever I'm going through something bad. We know that all things work out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. We get that, but that's not what Paul's really talking about in this verse. The next line adds more structure to that. The next line says, For those whom he foreknew, that means that God knew you already. He foreknew you. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And for those whom he called, he also justified. And to those who he justified, he also glorified. So Paul is telling us that God is working out this salvation thing in our lives. And every day that we are living in him, he is conforming us to the image of his son. That when you come to know Christ, yeah, you're sanctified. But to be glorified and justified takes time. That God is working in you. That you are a work in progress. That you might not be perfect off the first week of being in the relationship with Christ, but in, in due time, the more time you spend with him, the more time you invest in him, the more image of Jesus will come out of you. That's what Paul is saying, that you if you are called into this, God is working out all things to make you like the image of his son. And the problem that we have with that scripture, though, is that many of us will read something like that, and we have this idea that, okay, what's well, so we're called. Our salvation is held in the hands of Christ. Like I said, so we can do whatever we want. And God is going to keep his promise. My question going back to that was, if that's the way you think, are you even saved to begin with? Like, have you just taken the gift of God and misused it. Say, well, uh, there's salvation there. I, want I don't want to die and go to hell, so I'm going to say the prayer, and I can do whatever I want afterwards. You're probably not saved. Your relationship with Christ is probably non-existent to begin with. You're like, how can you say that, Pastor? That's so mean. It, that, no, that's not me being preaching happiness. Like, like the, the, the quote I shared this morning said, I'm not here to preach happiness. I'm here to preach holiness. That might not sit well with many of us today, but many of us need to hear that, that truth today. I know I do daily. I need to constantly tell myself that. That I need to be reminding myself that, that I have got to be living the way God wants me to be living. And when I fall short, I have got to repent. I have got to fall back in the, on, on, into the foot of the cross. Because I am called to be a saint. I am called to be a child of Christ. And I have got to live up to that identity. If we look at verse 9 in 1 Corinthians, you see that there is a sign, though, that can tell us whether or not we really are saved or not. It's a simple sign. It's one word that can just kind of, it, it's the litmus test of whether or not you are in, in Christ or you are not in Christ. It says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Did y'all catch that? The fellowship of Jesus is a sign of the salvation in your life. 
If you're not eating, sleeping, breathing Christ daily, he is more likely not in you. If Christ is not on your mind, if you feel no repentance, no, no need to repent after sinning, Christ is probably not living in you. If, if, if when you wake up, the, the, you're more excited about checking your feed on your Facebook than, to, to, than to, to, to wonder what God has in store for you today in his word, there's a problem there. When you live your life to glorify yourself, to make much of yourself versus making much of the cross, there's a problem there. When you live your life in, you know, pursuing the happiness and pursuing the pleasures of this world and success of this world versus pursuing the mission of God in your life, there's a problem there. Your life is not your own anymore. It was bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. It's not your own no more. You live for Christ now. That's the fellowship you have with him, constantly with him, constantly in prayer, talking to your father, the good, good father, the one who grants us grace upon grace upon grace for our iniquities. That is the fellowship that we have. And if you do not have that, you probably do not have salvation. Paul is saying here that we have, if we love Jesus, we're going to have a fellowship with Jesus. It's going to be evident in the way we live, in the way we talk to people, in the way we interact with those around us, in the way that we love others. This fellowship in Jesus is not something that we can fake forever. You might be able to fake it the first couple of weeks. You might be able to go out and get the cool T-shirt, go buy a Hillsong CD, go get the awesome uh, What Would Jesus Do bracelet. Are those even cool popular anymore? I don't know. And you might be able to fake it for a while, but eventually if you're not a called child of Christ, you will revert back to the child of wrath that you really are. God, this message is hard for me. I hope you know that. A believer in Christ who has surrendered their life to the calling of salvation will have great fellowship with Jesus. Undoubtedly. Jesus will be on their lips every day. They will strive daily for the mission of God. They would be living for Christ. This is a problem, church, because many of us here are not doing that. Like some of us have actually become like the church in Corinth. In our everyday life, you started off really good, guys, and eventually you start to fall off, and you start to go back to what you like to do versus what you know you should do. Church, we should know better. Like, we should know better than that. But if this is you, and you've gotten to the point where you just are okay with your sin, and you're not struggling. I mean, I'm not, I'm talking about, like, if, those, if you're struggling with sin, like, that, that's good. That's God working out that the evilness in your heart. You're struggling with it, and you, and you feel like you need to repent for it. You, you need to find someone to hold you accountable. You're, you're struggling with this. You, you feel remorse for this evil thing that is trying to get back inside you. That, 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 it's a struggle. That's good. You should struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. As a man, we struggle with sin every time we walk down the, the, the grocery store. Amen? Can't even walk down the grocery store without seeing women <laughs> trying to keep our minds straight. Women, you can't sin without thinking bad about some other girl who might be dressed better than you. Or might look prettier than you, so in your mind, or something like that. That's sin. We all struggle with sin. That's good, though. We need to struggle with it. 
but the people I'm talking about, those of us who do not struggle with sin no more, that you have made peace with your sin. Like you're okay with it. Like you know that you're doing bad and you just don't give a darn. That you're okay with what you do. You're okay with sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage. You're okay with drinking excessively. You're okay with the images and the, the videos and the things that you watch on the computer late at night when your wife's not looking or whenever you're alone. You're okay with that. You're okay with the way you spend your money that does not honor God. You're okay with the investments that you make that do not honor God. You're okay with the way you treat your family, your wife, the way you, you do not invest as much time into them as you do your own 401k. You're okay with that. And if that is you, then I hope that the next words that come out of my mouth pierce your heart, that you may not have a relationship with Christ. And that should scare the crap out of you. Because when we are separated from Christ, we're separated from his glory forever. And God is calling us. There was a calling of Christ in our lives to change. And we can avoid it for a while. We can fake it every once in a while. But if he is calling you to back to him as a child of God, you cannot avoid that. You need to stop struggling with that and give in to that. As, as the video said, you need to just repent. You need to just give up. Give up the struggle so you can have the confidence that your salvation is not held in your own hand. Your salvation is held in the hand who created you. Christ has been knocking on the door of your heart for way too long. You need to answer that door. He is calling after you. You need to answer that call today. Will today be that day that you surrender your life to Christ? Surrender in order that you can have the confidence that no matter how far you may stray from Christ, his, your salvation is not held in your own hands. It's held in pray that you make that connection today. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, just forgive us today. Lord, forgive me, first of all, as pastor of this church, not being 100% perfect. But Lord, I give you praise and thanks that your grace in your eyes, that is, it, it's, it's covered on me, that in your eyes you see me as that, a child of God. I pray that we all understand that today, Lord. That your love and your grace, that you look down upon heaven, upon our sinfulness and our wickedness, knowing that the sin that lives within our heart, the evil that lives inside our heart, that the heart is wicked, that we know that, that when you looked upon that, upon us, you saw the eternal separation from you and your son, Jesus Christ. You saw that eternal separation and you knew that there had to be a way to bring us back to you. So you sent your son, Jesus, and you sent him to die on the cross to, be, to become the eternal atonement for our sins. And you took that sacrifice, you took the atonement, and you sent it back to us in a call to come back to you, Lord. And you hold our salvation in your hands. Scripture says that it is an inheritance in heaven waiting for us to be completed. So that we can't mess it up, so we can't squander it like the rich young ruler. You can't squander it like the prodigal son. That our salvation is in the hands of Christ. 
Lord, thank you for that salvation today. Lord, thank you for that calling on our lives. Thank you for having mercy on us, for having grace on us. That even though we may sin and walk far away, that you run after us and bring us back because we are called into your flock, into your fold, our good, good shepherd. For those of us who are here today, maybe you have that relationship with Christ is not something that is real in your life. There's no evidence of that relationship with Christ in your life. Would you just stop running today? If God is calling out to you, you feel it in your heart. You know that God is working in your life. You feel it and you know it. There is conviction for the, the sins you're doing right now. You know they're popping into your mind. You're listing them off one by one as I am talking. You know that you need to be a better father. You know you need to be a better mother. You know that you have been a terrible friend. You know that the the person you are has been nothing like the person that Christ is calling you to be. Would you repent right now, in this moment, right where you're at? Just repent and say, Lord, I am sorry. I repent of my sins. I need you right now, Lord. Please forgive me. Don't do this because it feels good. Do it because you know it is what you need to do because God has been calling you and you've been ignoring that call for way too long. Lord, just forgive us. Thank you so much for glorifying us. Thank you so much for sanctifying us, for justifying us today. Pray that we answer that call today so we can have confidence in our salvation. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and worship today.